Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 26 through 35 a little bit uh, later, not right this second. I'm going to delay on reading. Well, I can't get my my iPad to stay up on the deal. Did somebody wax the uh, pulpit? Uh, I bet housekeeping waxed the pulpit. I mean, I'm sitting up there and it keeps sliding down, and, uh, but that'll be okay. I'll just do it like this. Well, we are looking at a series. Uh, there, there are certain things that I want to do. I want to make sure that I do. One of the things that I want to make sure that I do is, is cover some key um, doctrinal truths that you really need to understand, and you need to know why they're important in your life. You need to know why they're important <clears throat> in this church. Uh, I've titled the series, Believe This, and this is the fifth in the uh, series of sermons. We'll finish up just before the holidays begin. But uh, <clears throat> this one is on the virgin birth. Someone has said, and this is interesting, next to the resurrection, the most debated and controversial event of Jesus' life is the virgin birth. Now, here's what I find to be very strange. America, knowing what I know about America today, Americans are three times as likely to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus as in evolution. This is according to a Barner research. I would normally think that's got to be an error, but if it's a Barner research, uh, they're, they're pretty accurate. Most Christians believe the virgin birth is true. According to George Barna, 85% of those surveys believe that Jesus was born to a virgin, that is, the Christians. He also found that even 75% of the people who do not embrace Jesus as their Savior believe that he was born of a virgin. Now, we're going to talk about the virgin birth today. The Catholic Church is often criticized for worshiping Mary. Let me just, I'm not going to ask you to do that. Um, I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you are or have uh, were a Catholic at one time. But, but just know, and, and all of us in Baptist and Protestant circles know that the Catholic Church has always uh, been uh, criticized for worshiping Mary. And there's no question <clears throat> that, that the Virgin Mary is a central figure in Catholicism. I'm, I don't know uh, that, that we who criticize and what we criticize is exactly accurate, but we do know that the Virgin Mary is a central figure in Catholicism and more so in countries outside of the United States. If you've never been to, if you've been to a Catholic church in the United States and then you go to a Catholic church in a country like Costa Rica or a country like <clears throat> Argentina or a Catholic church in, in a, a, what I would call not a, um, well, even in, in certain mainstream countries, there is a difference between the Catholic church in America and the Catholic church in third world countries, a, a big difference. As a reaction to what many consider to be Mary worship, other faiths, including Baptist, have failed or been afraid to give her the position that she deserves. That is, Mary, the position that she deserves. Now, we absolutely, and, and I'll put that in perspective for you, we absolutely adore the Apostle Paul. We absolutely adore the Apostle Paul. But we hesitate from talking about Mary. We're a little skittish about talking, uh, concerning talking about Mar Mary. 
Now be assured that we are not going to worship Mary this morning. And I'm not going to encourage that or say that that is the least bit right. And I'm not going to spend my time talking about another faith or another religion. But it is worth noting that God used this woman, Mary, in the course of bringing redemption to the world. And it, that is the virgin birth, is a vital doctrine for all of us to believe. You must believe in the virgin birth. You just must. Let me give you an important verse that pertains, and I told you we'd read our text later on. Here's a, an important verse that pertains to the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't seem like it's an important verse, but it's a very important verse and has significant impact on the doctrine of the virgin birth. This is from Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Interesting statement, isn't it? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now let me tell you where we are exactly like the psalmist. The latter part. In sin did my mother conceive me. That is, we were born in sin. We were born in sin, inheriting that sin from our parents. Now, if God was to send his son to redeem us from our sins and not from his own sins, not from any sins of his own, then there had to be a way for him to not be born of sin the way that we are born of sin. There had to be a way for him to be born in a way that that sin was not even a part of uh, the, the inheritance of his nature. We inherit that sin nature. When we're born, we're already sinners. Now, we are sinners in an innocent understanding of our sins, but we are sinners. I told you that, that we have a, um, our, our two granddaughters here, uh, two and about a half years old and about 10 months old, a little better than 10 months old maybe. Now, I absolutely adore those girls. I really adore those girls. But I've got to assure you that those girls are little sinners. And that two-and-a-half-year-old, she's a big sinner. She is a sinner. But it didn't start in the terrible twos. By the way, she's also adorable, and she is my sweetheart, and the other one's my sweetie pie. But <clears throat> it didn't start in the terrible twos. She was born in sin. That's not the way for Jesus to be born. Jesus, in order to redeem us from our sin, needed to be born without a without the nature of sinning from the beginning. And so he was to be born of a virgin. He he could not have been born in a state of sinlessness, which was absolutely necessary if he were born normally. And if he had a state of sin from birth, he couldn't be the sacrifice for our sins because he would have been the sacrifice for his own sins, which he he didn't come to do. Look, he would have been in the same trap of sin as the rest of us, were he not born to a virgin. So it's really important that he be born of a virgin. Jesus was born without sin so that he could be the sacrifice for my sins and the sacrifice for yours. He was born without sin so that he could pay it all. Now, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you must believe in the virgin birth. 
the virgin birth is his birth. And the virgin of the virgin birth is Mary. There's no way around it. Thank God for Mary. Now, that being said, let's look at our focus. First of all, let's see where the virgin birth was revealed. Where did we first learn that something like this was going to happen? Well, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We go to the beginning to find the beginning. And verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the enmity is between Satan and the woman Eve and her offspring, which was to come. Her offspring, which was to come, was not Cain, was not Abel. Her offspring, which was to come, was Jesus. It was a, an ancestral uh, offspring, a prophetic offspring, if you will. This is the first assurance of the ultimate victory over sin, the final defeat of Satan. And it's the first mention at all of any kind of a birth that would be outside of the ordinary. I want to do a little little Bible biology here, okay? This is a little biblical biology. I, I hope that you'll bear with me. The word offspring is the same word that in the King James Version is interpreted seed. It's offspring here in the ESV. It is seed in the KJV. And it means that which germinates, bringing about life. We all understand that. Typically, in biologically speaking, in the reproductive aspect of offspring, typically, here's what that's talking about. That's talking about the contribution of the male to the birthing process. There is no reference to man's seed in Genesis 3.15. It talks about the woman's seed in Genesis 3.15. No reference at all to man's seed. That's the first inkling of a virgin birth. Now, I'll grant you that modern science has found ways to circumvent the mating process in making a baby. However, they have not gotten around to uh, or around the need <clears throat> for a donor male in the process. They, they have not gotten uh, to where they can reproduce without a donor male. And, and I don't believe that they ever will. In fact, I, I'm confident they never will. At least there has to be some donor male at some point uh, in the process. The only woman to produce germination without the process of conception or the need of male contribution, be it natural or scientific, was Mary. And she brought forth a child without ever having known a man or ever having introduced into her body that which was necessary for every other birth. Now there's your little biology lesson. Look, she did that. She was engaged. She was engaged to, to uh, Joseph but the rules of engagement in that day were different than the rules of engagement today. In that day, there was a, a period of time where that they were betrothed to one another. They were very much committed to one another, but they did not live as husband and wife in the intimate sense. They didn't live as husband and wife at all until after that betrothment was over. 
but they were absolutely committed to one another. And it was a, if nothing else, it was a display. It was a time of purity. Now, Mary was betrothed, but she had not yet conceived, and quite honestly, had had no relations whatsoever with her betrothed Joseph. She was the virgin Mary. Now, let me explain that. She wasn't 90% virgin. She wasn't 99% virgin. She wasn't 99.9% virgin. Mary was 100% virgin. Absolutely, positively, 100% virgin. And she had to be, because Jesus had to be born of a virgin. He had to be born in such a way that there would be no implication of sin in his life. None introduced into his life. And sin comes through the process of the male uh, adding to the birthing process. So there was to be none of that. Now it's interesting that the declaration of the virgin birth goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The virgin birth of Jesus was declared to Satan. Then the message was prophesied. We see the virgin birth prophesied. It was first revealed, and now it's prophesied. Now, next week, we're going to, our message in Believe This, and it's, I think it's an exciting message. I always think this is an exciting message. The message next Sunday is the rapture of the church. And the rapture of the church will turn your mule loose in the corn crib. That is really, really exciting. The rapture of the church. We're going we're to speak of that next Sunday right here uh, at 10 o'clock in the 10 o'clock service. Let me ask you this. Do you believe the prophecy of the Bible? There's a lot of prophecy in the world that's not prophecy of the Bible. The prophecy of the world and the prophecy of the Bible are not equal. They're not all created equal. There's a difference between the prophecy of the world and the prophecy of the Bible. Let me give you a few unfortunate prophecies, okay? Here's some unfortunate prophecies. Stocks have reached what looks like a permanently high plateau. That was from Irving Fisher, the professor of economics of Yale University in 1929. That was an unfortunate prophecy. Here's another one. With over, and this is from Business Week, June, the, uh, August the 2nd, 1968. With over 50 foreign cars already on sale here, the Japanese auto industry isn't likely to carve out a big slice of the U.S. market. There's your prophecy that failed, wasn't it? I like this one. This might be my favorite one. That's eh, my second favorite one. <clears throat> so we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing, even built with some of your parts. What do you think about funding us? Or we'll give it to you. We just want to do it. Pay our salary. We'll come work for you. And they said, no. So we went to Hewlett Packard and they said, hey, we don't need you. You haven't even gotten through college yet. You know who that was? That was Steve Jobs trying to uh, sell his uh, PC or peddle his PC. And then here's my very favorite one. This is my very favorite one. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. That was Decca Records rejecting the Beatles in 1962. Such nincompoops. As a result of human prophecy, the, the, 
as, as unreliable, excuse me, as human prophecy can be, the prophecy of God is as good as history. Whatever God says about the future is as sure as if it had already happened. Beyond the prediction, uh, the, the prediction of Genesis 3.15, there are so many more things in the Bible about the coming of Jesus. Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you believe that that prophecy came to be true, then you can and should believe that all other prophecies will come to be true. The, the validity of prophecy future is built on the veracity of prophecy past. If, if, it, if it happened in the past, as God said, we have no reason to think it won't happen in the future, as God said. You say, well, some of the things that are said about what's going to happen in the future are just so fantastic. You don't think that it was fantastic back in, in the day uh, for a virgin to give birth to a child? Joseph had to go and hide her because nobody would understand what was going on. Here's a little interesting thing. There are 453 prophecies about the coming of Jesus. 453. 196 of the 453 are about the first coming of Jesus or when Jesus was on earth the first time. And on the day that Jesus was crucified, every single one of those 196 prophecies had been fulfilled. Every single one of them. Not most of them. Not the majority of them, not the vast majority of them, every single one of them. Now, if there are 453 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus and 196 were fulfilled at his first coming, that leaves 257 to be fulfilled in his second coming. Now, why would the prophecies of the second coming be any less accurate than 196 prophecies of his first coming? There's, there's no rhyme nor reason that they would be any less accurate. As I've said before, the same book that brought us this will bring us that. It's the Bible. This is, we, we talked about that when we first uh, uh, spoke of the Bible. Long before the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the decision was made that man needed a Savior, and the Savior would be born of a woman and had, who had never known a man in an intimate way. And the virgin was named Mary, and the virgin birth was declared to Satan. It was prophesied to man, and then the virgin birth was announced to Mary herself. She got news of it. Now we go to the text that we declared at the beginning of the message, and this is from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, a very familiar passage. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a, a man whose name was Joseph of the house and of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and, and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. 
and he will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be uh, called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let me show you five things out of that passage. First of all, the messenger. There was a messenger who came to Mary. The messenger was the angel Gabriel. There are two named angels in the Bible, two angels that are given names in the Bible. Uh, One is Gabriel, and the second is the archangel Michael. Gabriel is the angel who explained to Daniel the vision that he had. Gabriel is the one that laid out all of the information to Daniel about the vision. You read in the book of Daniel. Gabriel explained all of that to him. So Gabriel has had some pretty good assignments. Now coming back, in addition to Gabriel talking to Daniel, he had another announcement to make. And this announcement was to Mary. And he told Mary, you are going to have a baby. And not just any baby. This baby is going to be the son of the holy most high God. You're going to have a baby. That's the messenger. Now, what was the message? Well, we just said it. In verses 30 through 33, he comes with comforting words to Mary. And then the surprise of all time, she is going to be a mother. She is going to be a mom. And the boy's name would be Jesus. He would be the son of the Most High. Now, look, I've been in on a few announcements. You know, today there's, there's, uh, they do some pretty uh, interesting things in announcing the baby and then announcing the gender of the baby and, and those kinds of things. And, and Paul and Lindsay, uh, they, they had a, an interesting and a delightful way of announcing that they were going to have the first baby and then the second to us. And then they do these, these reveals. Have you seen the reveals where they, they, uh, they, you either pink or blue or, or whatever it might be. And, and, uh, I think Paul and Lindsay on one of theirs did a little black and white uh, video and then it, burst it out in, in pink at some point to show that was pretty close to what it was done, I think. And, and <clears throat> it burst it out into pink and, and we realized it was a little girl. And for us, it's a big surprise. First little girl in our family. I mean, you know, we, Jan and I, we didn't even, uh, we couldn't speak girl. Uh, she could, I guess, but, uh, but I couldn't. And, and so we had three sons and, and those three sons and one of those sons had had two sons. And so it was, you know, all boys all the time. And then boom, all of a sudden, a little girl. What a surprise to us. What a delight to us. You remember when, when you found out the first time that you, you, you were going to have a baby or you told your husband or you told your, your parents or you let it be known that you're going to have a baby. What a tremendous surprise. Well, what about Mary? Hmm? What about Mary? I, I mean, again, I go back to the fact I don't think we give her enough props. That's a big deal right there. That is a big thing. Mary is going to have a baby. How big a deal is it? Oh, it was so big it scared her. And the reason it scared her was because she had never 
been with a man. She had never had intimacy with a man. This, this virgin birth was announced. There was a message to it, and, and there was a messenger for it, but there was a mystery in all of this. In fact, Mary was confused in verse 34. She said, how will this be since I am, am a, a virgin? How many of you have ever heard the term, where there's a will, there's a way? Do you raise your hand? You know, that's not always true, but with God's will, it is absolutely true. Where there is God's will, there is always a way. And more than a few of us have faced something new that God sent our way, and we were happy to find that our steps of faith became a path to victory because God worked out a way when he gave us his will. Given what Mary and everyone else knew of birthing a child, she was mystified. Oh boy, this is a strange thing. What am I in for? But Gabriel not only gave her the news of the mystery, he also answered a question and told her about the method in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, I can't even imagine. I can't even, I cannot even fathom. This is one of those, this is one of those Moses at the burning bush moments. Oh, my goodness gracious. This is one of those getting the the Ten Commandments with the finger of God carving them out in in stone. This is one of those parting of the Red Sea moments. This was huge. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to be the father of my child? I'm going to have a baby. Joseph's not going to be the daddy. God's going to be the daddy. Is that what you're saying? She was about to become the wife of Joseph, and together they were going to have children, she thought. But this changed everything. It drastically changed everything. How is this even possible? Well, therein lies the miracle. I'm sure there are many reasons for what came next. And I'm sure we could preach on those reasons. But what came next is interesting to me. Because what Mary had just heard was can't happen. This is not going to happen. How can this possibly be? But Mary had a cousin. Everybody knew about this cousin. She was a nice lady. People just absolutely adored her. They just, they thought she was a wonderful lady. She never had any children. Everybody else's children became her children. She babysat a lot, and the kids loved to go to her house. She had just the right kind of stuff that she would make, and she had them there for her nieces and nephews and, and other people that, other people's kids that she really loved. But everybody knew that she couldn't have a baby. Well, she was actually the cousin of Mary. Mary knew about her cousin. Now Mary has been given this news that's impossible. 
This is, this, how can this happen? And so the angel goes on in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. There it is. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. Now, there are a lot of other reasons for the birth of John the Baptist. But let me tell you, and that was who Elizabeth, uh, that's who her baby was going to become. But I will tell you that Mary had just gotten some news about herself, and she said, how is this going to happen? And she said, oh, by the way, just in case you think this is not going to happen, you know Elizabeth, your sweet cousin that can't have babies? Well, she's going to have a baby in three months. And then Mary says, well, wow, I guess I'm going to be the birth mother of the Son of God. And as the power of this moment set in, Mary accepted it. And she, she took it in. And she said, yeah, this is, this is going to happen. I have been chosen to be the birth mother of the Son of God. And in verse 48, she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, and behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Wow. Blessed. Man. (laughs) I'm going to have God's baby. His name will be Jesus. He will be the Son of God of God. Well, what's left? Well, there's only one thing left, and that's for the virgin birth to be accomplished. And it was. There are a lot of things that have happened the first time. On August the 18th, 1587, Virginia Dare was born. She was the first child born in the American colonies. Virginia Dare. In 1892, at the age of 15, Annie Moore was the first immigrant to pass through Ellis Island. In 1903, Alexander Winton set the land speed record at Daytona Beach, Florida. In his car, he went 68.18 miles an hour. There are a lot of firsts that are followed by seconds and thirds and bettered. But you know what this one was? It was not the first. It was the one and only virgin birth. And do you know why? Because the world needed only one Savior to bear the cross for our sins. The Old Testament prophesied His birth, and the New Testament is the birth certificate of His birth. I have a birth certificate. I was born on March the 6th, 1950 in Gallatin, Tennessee in a little clinic. Dr. Loveless was the doctor that brought me into the world and the nurse, 
Her name was Hennessy, and I was born. I have a certificate at home that says that I was born. If any of you think that I wasn't, I'll go to the safe and I'll show you the certificate. I was born. The birth certificate for the Son of God is the New Testament. How cool is that? It's just the New Testament. Luke 2, 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while he was there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, made of woman, made under the law. The virgin birth is no longer a declaration, it's no longer a prophecy, it's no longer in preparation, it is now recorded. There is a birth certificate, we call it the New Testament. Jesus Christ was born, and he was born of a virgin. Jesus was. We, we do not look forward to it now, we look back upon it. It is as real as any birth, and it is our joy, it is our rejoicing, God's gift of love to a lost and dying world. Well, the secular news rarely gets it right, but on occasion they do. And it's been a few years now, but Newsweek magazine, which I do not read, but Newsweek magazine conducted a poll asking some questions about Christ and his birth. Here's what they found. That among those surveyed, 67% believe the entire story of Christmas is historically accurate, and 24% believe the story of Christmas is a theological invention. There were other surprising results. The survey revealed that people believed that if Jesus had never been born, there would have been serious consequences. Here's some of the consequences they feel like would have happened had Jesus never been born. 63% believe that there would be less charity had Jesus not been born. 61% believe there would be less kindness had Jesus not been born. 59% believe there would be less personal happiness that had Jesus not been born. 58% believe there'd be less tolerance had Jesus not been born. And 47% believe there'd be more war had Jesus not been born. That survey may be true and those people may be right. But here's what I know for certain, absolutely for certain. Had Mary not conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit and given birth to him and mothered him, and watched him die on the cross for our sins, and on the third day overcome the grave. I know that for certain, had those things not happened, there would have been zero chance for me or you to go to heaven at the end of this life. That's why the virgin birth is so important. That's why it's such a vital doctrine. That's why you've got to hold on to it. Without the virgin birth, there's zero chance that we would go to heaven. The birth of Jesus Christ to a woman, a virgin, gave me and it gave you a chance to be forgiven of all of our sins. 
I was born in 1950. I was born again in 1958. And today, I'm on my way to heaven because Jesus was born of a virgin and did all he was prophesied to do. What does the virgin birth mean to you?